Osiris. This podcast is in the loop. The Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. If you're one of those people who obsesses over a fish set list every night that they're on tour, you have a long text chain with your friends debating over what they'll play that night. I don't know, Brian. I don't know anybody like that. Me either. But if this is you, please check out Lure Social. That's L-U-R-E social.com. Once again, L-U-R-E social.com. It's a digital community that connects fans for a unique fantasy gaming experience. You select shows, create set lists of what you think Fish will play, and compete against the entire Fish community. Even playing it, it's really fun. It's very much upper alley. We encourage you to check it out. Yeah, if you've listened to at least five seconds of this podcast, you know that we are fish set list obsessive nerds. This game has taken over our lives. We encourage you and all your friends to take it over. It will get you through the long drives from Tahoe to the Gorge to San Francisco to L.A. It will get you through the long afternoons at Watkins Glen. It is a fantastic, fantastic app. We certainly encourage you all to visit luresocial.com. That's L-U-R-E social.com to play. David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are turned into episode 37 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a springboard for introducing the listener to other bands. These are usually non-jam bands because we love Fish. We are Fish fans. But the problem with sometimes being a fish fan is that all they listen to is fish. They just listen to everything on their app. It's fish this, fish that. They can recount tons of statistics. And yet when fish isn't on tour, they just stay home. They just watch TV. If they're Mets fans, they get really frustrated and their lives are miserable. Because when they really need is other bands to go see when fish is not around. Yeah, we uh, we know this struggle. We've been in this struggle, and we have figured out a way out of this struggle. And that's what we're here for. Think of us as your spiritual guides out of the world just of fish. So here in episode 37, we're going to focus on uh, a Summer 95 jam that is very near, very dear to my heart. This is one of the first jams I wanted to cover on Beyond the Pond, and it took us 37 episodes to get there. Um, But I'm very excited to be going through. I think we're both really excited with what we've got here. We're going to be covering the Runaway Gym from June 16th, 1995 at Walnut Creek Amphitheater in Raleigh, North Carolina. Some of the themes we're going to explore in this episode include the guitar as a medium for interstellar exploration, a showcase for Paige, as in Paige McConnell, 
and fish box set wish list. And on that note, let's get to the fish. So why are we covering the June 16, 1995 Runaway Gym? Well, in a summer in which the band's focus was on pushing their songs further than they'd really ever gone before, and in some cases, further than they've ever gone since, this is Summer 95's defining Runaway Gym. It's a massive, expansive, relentless, at times terrifying, at others atmospheric, at others delicately beautiful. It's a massive jam. It's one of those monster summer 95 jams that you either love or you hate. There is literally no in-between. What do you think of this jam, Dave? Well, like you just said, love it or hate it, this runaway jam is extremely summer 95-y and probably couldn't have existed at any other time. It gets dark. It gets dissonant. Probably a wee bit much for many of those in attendance at the time. Uh, I kind of dig it but probably admire it more than actually enjoy it. See also June 28th, 1995 tweezer. But uh, I think as we get to one of our themes, sort of like the last five minutes or so, there's some room for uh, some extreme page beauty, sort of when uh, the weirdness subsides and everyone drops out, you've got Paige doing some very interesting things on, um, on his baby grand piano. I would say kind of just in terms of Runaway Jim to put this jam in a little bit of context um, of note to this point, Runaway Jim had really been something of a contained jam vehicle since its debut. There were a few versions that kind of pushed behind the bond beyond the boundaries, uh, thinking 419, 92, 826, 93 from Portland, Oregon and 1015, 94. These all kind of hinted at its potential, but none had really pushed it into the type two territory. To say that there was no precedent or expectation for Jim to blow up like this, even in summer 95, is something of an understatement. And I would say as well, and I think we both agree on this, this really feels like a cousin of the Providence Bowie in some cases, doesn't it? Well, yeah, more so the last 10 minutes with the uh, the canine-themed canine themed vocal jamming. Instead of uh, calling for Lassie. He's so far gone! Yeah, instead of calling for Lassie, Lassie, good girl. Jim is so far gone. I bet members of the audience at this point were quite far gone as well. <laughs> Just because, uh, yeah, it's a summer 95 jam. Really excellent display of traceability during this tour to use effects. Non-traditional guitar lines help push the band further into the unknown than it had ever gone or tried to go before which, as we know, is the Summer 95 M.O. Absolutely. And, you know, this version of Runaway Jim would go on to really kind of inspire uh, some big, big versions of Runaway Jim. I mean, Runaway Jim became something of a bona fide jam vehicle. And as we'll get to it, has a real historical significance um, in fish history and in fish lore. 
But again, there was no precedent for it. So um, a couple other gyms that we would encourage you guys to check out if you like this or if you just like the concept of a runaway gym being a jam vehicle and you haven't really you know, explored too much of what it's capable of in the improvisation setting. Um, a couple that we've got here, 1231.95. This is an absolute hell yeah version. Uh, tray on the uh, drum kit. Some amazing keyboard work and synth work from Paige. Just a really bouncing, fantastic groove that goes on there. And maybe you're only the eighth best jam of that show. Yeah, I know. It's the craziest thing about that. That comes in a set with an amazing drown that goes into lizards, a mic song closer, and then there's the weak pog and yem in set three. I mean, it's just what a what a show. Um, 814.96, this is a Hershey Snooze You Lose show that happened right before the Clifford Ball and is one of my favorite shows of that whole year. Uh, 11.16.96 from, uh, I believe this is Wichita or Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, I think it's Omaha. Um, this is one of the best. That was the one where they play We're an American Band. Right? Yes, and they do Jim into like Kung into... Um, Vibrational life. I mean, it's just an unbelievable version, but one of my favorite set twos of the tour. What are, what are a couple others that we have? You got July 31st, 1997, which we know is a big favorite of our friend and colleague Stephen Hyden. November 29th, 1997, the hour long gym symphony. I was there, I was in the rail. I kind of fell asleep. Don't love it. Plenty of other people do. I get it. August 11th, 1998. Um, Jam segment starting around 30 minutes is arguably some of the best stuff you'll hear in summer 1998. We got 718.99 from Oswego, very 99-esque jam. 616.2000 from the last night in Japan. Uh, 73.2000, this is a very bizarre 32-minute jam that opens Camden's second set that feels about as close as one could get to a summer 95 jam outside of 1995 it's just a real kind of mishmash really really strange jam that has very very little precedence even on that tour there's december 31st 2003 like everything played that night very fun and spirited albeit sloppy august 31st 2012 fuck your face show and then also uh august 4 2013 from um bill graham civic auditorium out in san francisco I seem to recall that was interesting because it wasn't the set opener. Didn't that, wasn't that almost like a fourth quarter gym that kind of went for a long time? Yeah, so the Runaway Gym actually comes in. It's the second song in the second set, but it comes after the last energy that was ever played, which has a really cool jam in and of itself. And a heroic rock and roll jam that goes into Carini, which is just, I recommend that show. I think that whole Bill Graham run has kind of gone been swept a little bit under the radar but it's a really good one um but stepping back 18 years um dave what are your thoughts on this 61695 show from raleigh okay so 616 is what me and my buddies used to refer to as a quote hard fish show and this term actually brings me back to being 15 years old and sitting in a long island diner after the conclusion of uh, Jones Beat 628-90-95 with a sheet of paper. It might have been the Doniac's Vice just like going over the set list um, for all the prior shows in that tour. Because uh, the first set is certainly no slouch. It's got a really big split open and melt jam. Um, nice down with disease, second song. I mean, any set that gives you cry, baby cry. Nothing to complain about. But with set two, you get 
a really dark 30-minute runaway gym which segues into a super early version of Free that at that time most of the audience is probably hearing it for the first time. And they go a cappella in the middle of the set. And there's a 25-minute version of Yem and then Coil. So there's no training rows in this set. This is a wham, bam, thank you, man, 300-level fish show. I, mean, I guess 300-level fish set. It's- yeah, this rhyme reminds me in some ways of... Um- this the ten days later, six twenty six ninety five second set, which um, we got it down with disease. Very very long, goes into a free, really really long, super weird jam that comes off of that as well. Um, that second set then goes into poor heart. Yeah, another big you enjoy myself, a strange design and a run like an antelope. You've got these four really big fish songs with some kind of rare, kind of weirdly placed fish songs. And it just feels like Fish is really challenging the audience with these performances, which seemed to be the theme of the tour. It seemed like what they wanted to do was see how long, how weird, how wild can we play and still retain an audience in the pursuit of artistic freedom and total like linear communication between them as, as musicians. And you really got to admire it, even if you don't like it, like the idea that they could walk on stage and do this over a month-long tour is pretty admirable. Yeah, I mean, if you were getting on the bus in 1995, so to speak, and you come out to the set and they do this dark, dissonant thing for a half hour, play a new song, and then do a cappella, and then play a 25-minute song, you're either thinking, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, or get me the fuck out of here. Right, 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 right. They were probably, I mean, and it's one of those interesting things like, you know, now looking back almost... 35 years into Fish's career, um, there are so many breaking points for fans to either like stay on and ride out whatever transition the band's going through or jump off. And I remember when I was first getting into Fish in 2001, hearing that there were a lot of fans that left as a result of Hoist and Summer 95 tour, that it just wasn't Fish to them anymore. But at this time as well, they collected a bunch of other fans, which is the unique thing. It's an interesting dichotomy in that in 1994, they put out easily their most glossy commercial triumph of the radio album, and then chased it in 1995 with arguably the most challenging tour to date. Right, right, so, <laughs> right. Yin and yang. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, and I I mean, I'm, I could go on forever about this tour. This is my favorite tour that Fish has ever embarked on these are some of my favorite performances of their traditional songs it's also some of my favorite jams um i mean this is just to me i would certainly argue that december 95 is fish at their best but when i'm searching for a show to put on that gives me all spectrums of what i want out of fish it's going to be a summer 95 show that's just how i how my ears uh kind of work um and i would say with that in mind this run from Mud Island, 614, to Raleigh, 616. Three nights. Mud Island, Atlanta, Raleigh. It's one of the strongest three-night runs in all fish history. This is the defining run in terms of song selection and jamming of the Summer 95 tour. And it's really, in my mind, the kind of run that deserves to be immortalized in an official box set release. You got the Mud Island Tweezer. Boom. The Atlanta Bowie. Also, boom, and like the Raleigh Runaway Gym. I mean, what if you did that run and you saw all three? And I'm sure many people did. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of like full shows, you've got 
Don't You Want to Go on 614. I don't think it's the debut version. It's such a good song. That needs to come back. I mean, like Paige's keys at the start of that and like the groove that that song always creates. I love that. Um, Very explosive possum. Stock sprain and a big split up and a melt to close set one. Set two, the aforementioned 50-minute tweezer. This is my favorite jam from the whole tour. I think this is the best long-form tweezer that they've ever played. I absolutely love this jam. A While My Guitar Gently Weeps set a closer. And then Simple in the Encore slot. I mean, can you really go wrong with that? Um, and then 615... My friend, my friend, Sparkle Bag opening trio is pure energy. The real gem of set one. If you have never heard this, the stash that directly segues into I Didn't Know is some of the most hauntingly beautiful music that the band has ever made. And it's such a unique take on a song like I Didn't Know. I I absolutely love it. It kind of reminds me um, just offhand of uh, like there was a performance from... Northern Island 2014 they were jamming Piper and they just somehow ended up in um, uh, they just somehow ended up in uh, Haley's Comet and it doesn't really sound like Haley's Comet but it kind of does it's also kind of like the party time from 1230-16 like they're not really in I didn't know here but they are and it's just eerie and amazing and then you got a Fluffhead Antelope set closer it's it's unbelievable stuff here from from these three shows so i don't disagree with that at all that'll make a fantastic box set but even more so for me if i'm going to put together a fantasy box set it's going to be philly december 1997 december 2nd and december 3rd i'm thinking that the only reason that this isn't already a box set is because before the night of december 2nd uh for some odd reason john fish and grew 17 other arms and I think that they're trying to get permission from um, the 15 arms that uh, mysteriously were on his body and left his body after that night. I can't think of any other really good reason for December 2nd not to be a release show. It's probably, for my money, a top 10 Mike's group of all time and quite possibly the greatest John Fishman showcase in all of the fish history could be that mic screw all the way from mics through simple through Yamar, Dogface Boy, up through Weka Pie. It really is something else. And then obviously December 3rd is no slouch. You got the gigantic Bowie to kick off set two, Big Drown the first set, 2001, Yem first set closer. And then the possum into the ridiculously funk jam because why the fuck not? Oh yeah, also uh, the ghost in the first set of December 2nd. There's nothing not to like about those two shows. I would love to have them boxed up and remixed and on vinyl so I can listen to them and melt into my couch with a double IPA. That's all I want of life. Anyway. You don't get any arguments from me on that. You and I, you and I, before Beyond the Pond, before we became, you know, rich and famous doing what we're doing right now, I think it would bonded over our shared love of 12297 set two. At least that was one of the first things. It certainly wasn't baseball. And uh, I would this this leads us into a larger discussion of box set wishlist you know fish just put out a really good show from 1999 chula vista we'll ignore the fact for the moment that they'd already released two of the big jams from this from this show in, in prior releases one thing that i wish fish would do and i will spend as much money as necessary 
And oh, and by the way, they're also releasing the entire Baker's Dozen, which we all have already on MP3s. I get the, I get it, audiophiles. I totally get it. I totally get it. It's going to sound that much better. But we already have it. We've come up with a list you already of got it. 10 or so box sets that we here at Beyond the Pond just humbly request that Fish, Kevin Shapiro, Tom Marshall, can you put in a word for us? Someone at Fish Inc., take a look at this list. There's some great stuff in here. We know that we'll, you know that we'll spend the money on it, okay? So, and we know that you're listening. And we know that you're listening. Come on. Come on, Patrick Jordan. We know you're listening. Um, all right. So kick things off, taking it far, far back. We need something more from the 80s. Nobody knows about the 80s in fish fandom. It seems like everybody starts with 1993 and the 10 years prior are nothing. So we need a great box set from the 80s. Spring 87, you've got about six or seven shows from March 6th to May 20th that showcase some of the most unique jamming from some of the coolest old small venues in Vermont that the band has ever played. Release that on box set and showcase to the fans what you were in just your fourth year of existence. We've got Colorado Spring of 1991, not Colorado Springs, but rather the season, March 13th through March 23rd. So a year later, they did an amazing tour of this of the uh, entire U.S., Spring 92. And specifically, there's a 10-day uh, little section on the West Coast from April 15th to April 25th that if you haven't heard any of these shows, every one of them is gold. Every one of them it deserves your time, and they make a great... If you have a CD player, you've probably heard the Santa Barbara show. You've probably heard Santa Barbara. You've probably heard Eureka. Awesome, awesome shows. No way to denigrate those. But the other ones are fantastic as well and highly recommend that. Uh, What else we got? Two-night run from uh, the Warfield, San Francisco, 1993, 326, 327. A year later, we got a three-night run from the Beacon Theater in New York, which for my money is the best constructed three-night run pre-1997 that the band ever played. So expertly written out from a set list standpoint 414 415 and 416 1994 it was horns one night right was that 415 horns one night and it's just got great early 94 energy i love it game hands 94 being june 26 1994 of course being the famous west virginia game hoist show and then july 8th 1994 from great woods also uh two fantastic sets the prairie land fall of 96 November 15th to November 19th. Some really cool jamming in here from mid-fall 1996. You got the Omaha show. You got the M show. You got 1119 that has one of my favorite bathtub gins and you enjoy myself ever played. Can't miss this stuff. You have the first ever jammed out 2001. I mean, come on. Gorge 1998, July 16th and July 17th. That was not. That wasn't Fish's first time at the Gorge, was it? Was that ninety seven? Was that was ninety seven? But ninety eight, okay. I think, is just like the perfect two night run. Okay. Next, we have another Brian Brinkman Dream Box in the Midwest Summer, nineteen ninety nine, July twenty first through July twenty sixth, when Fish recently announced that they're putting out Chula Vista as opposed to July twenty fifth, nineteen ninety nine. I may have gotten some angry text messages. That's unconfirmed. Broke my heart a little bit, as I'll say. Um, the big one, 
the one that literally every single fish fan wants, needs, and would pay up for within seconds of it being released. Give it to us in CD, vinyl, give it to us video, whatever you will, fish. Big Cypress. I would rob a bank for Big Cypress box. I would too. I would totally do that. Um, one thing that I've always wanted them to do, and I think that this would just be fun to have a CD box of this, is just one show a year. Pick one show from 1990 to 2000. Just give us the 90s, one show at a time. How cool would it be to just like, you know, go through a binge and listen to one show from 90, 91, 92, onward to 2000. I'd love to hear that evolution in Chris' soundboard. That would be fantastic. And we got one more. One more. Bear with us here. What do we got, Dave? One more. I wanted to uh, put some home state pride in here. I would suggest a whale of a box set, Hartford, Connecticut, through the years. Think about the possibilities. You've got maybe the first time they might have played Hartford. I think it was April 30th, 1993 for the University of Hartford. You've got great shows in the Civic Center, like October 23rd, 1996, November 26th, 1997. Plenty of shows from the Meadows Amphitheater. There's a lot to choose from. Fish loves Connecticut, and they could decorate it with the Hartford Whalers logo, and nerds like myself and hockey fans would snatch that shit up. So, and on that note, we've talked a lot about box sets. We've talked a lot about Runaway Jim in 1995. So let's actually listen to some of the Runaway Jim from Raleigh, North Carolina.
Okay, I hope that you are able to put your brains back together after that massive runaway gym there. So we are going to talk here about a couple of songs in our first segment that focus on the idea of the guitar as a medium for interstellar exploration, which is very much what you heard from Trey throughout this runaway gym. So I've picked a song from an artist who I have probably wanted to feature on this podcast since episode one. I focused on one of his records last year as a new album recommendation. I think I might have featured him in our Fall 97 Twitter deep dive that you guys all played a part in uh, about six months ago. That's Mark McGuire. The song that we're going to play here is called Brainstorm for Aaron off of his 2010 LP, Living With Yourself. So Mark McGuire is the former lead guitarist from the Space Noise experimental drone trio Emeralds. He's a very prolific recording artist. Aside from the recordings that he did with Emeralds in the late 2000s, he's released upwards of like 15 albums in the last 10 years. Some compilations, some proper studio records, but you go on to music blogs in like the late 2000s, early 2010s, and there were just pages after page of Mark McGuire stuff to download. It was just unbelievable. It was a just nonstop plethora of music. So McGuire was born and raised in Cleveland. He lived and recorded in Portland, Oregon for a little while, but now lives in LA and records for Beyond the Pond, probably our favorite label, one of our favorite indie labels at, at very least, Dead Oceans, which is probably getting its third shout out in as many episodes now. Um, you're hot, you're hot. You're hot, you're hot. Yeah, we just keep featuring you as much as possible. Um, this record, Living With Yourself from 2010, this was McGuire's first proper album. And following an assortment of self-release compilations, uh, this record really seemed to compile his entire musical approach into bite-sized pieces that were shockingly accessible, something that I rarely would have, or I wouldn't have expected from McGuire. Uh, the record focuses on McGuire's life, his adolescence, his childhood, his hometown, his family, and his friends. There are little snippets of recordings from his life throughout the album that kind of intersperse their way through the instrumental pieces. And devoid of lyrics, McGuire proves here to be an expert at setting mood and tone. His music is equally nostalgic as it is engrossing and refreshing and new. <clears throat> Songs like The Vast Structure of Recollection, Clear the Cobwebs, and Brothers for Matt, as well as the song we're going to play here, Brainstorm for Aaron, are contemplative and reflective in a way that only someone just out of college could be for their recent memories. And this record came out when I was about 24, 25. I was coming back from Korea, and I was just immediately nostalgic for like a life that I had just lived. I didn't really want to live again, but kind of the, really realizing how meaningful all that you know, period of adolescence and growth had been. The one thing that this record doesn't do, though, is Sacrifice Mark's Penchant for Exploration. And the two songs in particular, Brainstorm and Brothers, are the two best examples on the record of McGuire building off nostalgia and really seeing the places that nostalgia can take us in our mind. So this kind of idea that as you just like reflect and reflect, you immediately, or you at some point, find yourself in the present and find yourself just thinking about what ifs. And your mind can go in a thousand different directions as a result of that. And it's really a goal he was after. And it makes this record that much more relevant than just a nostalgic piece. 
This to me feels very much like an early Eno album in its ability to not only help you space out for a moment of ambiguous reflection, but also in its ability to evoke real sadness from experimental music. So we're going to go ahead here and play a little bit of Brainstorm for Aaron off of Mark McGuire's 2010 record, Living With Yourself. Seven episodes ago, I started listening to Mark McGuire. And, uh, certainly a fan. It took me a while to dissociate his name from the very stereotypical <laughs> from the St. Louis Cardinals. Once I did, I was able to enjoy it much more. So, I here, in terms of interstellar exploration, going to talk about one of my favorite bands, one that I've been trying to find a way to shoehorn into this for a while. That is Spiritualized. And the song is, I think I'm in love. So we were actually going to use a spiritualized song as far back as our first episode, but we opted to keep the arrow in our quiver. But being the category du jour is interstellar guitar exploration and spiritualized just released a two song preview of a new album coming out in September. Thought it was a good time to dive in. So this isn't so much a quote band as one dude and his vision the guy being Jason Pierce, a.k.a. Jay Spaceman, who's one of the founding members of uh, the 80s psychedelic drone drug rocker Spaceman 3, of whom uh, the other notable ex-member Pete Kember, a.k.a. Sonic Boom, just uh, made a name for himself producing the new, the latest album from Beach House 7, which we think is probably in our running for album of the year. So whereas Spaceman 3 were very loud, very organ-driven, everything was in the red, all of their stated aim of, quote, taking drugs to make music to take drugs to, spiritualized in contrast, uh, while they're plenty out there, they're elegant. After a series of EPs, their first official release in 1992 was the album Laser Guided Melodies, and as Helping Friendly Pop member and one time Beyond the Pond guest John Hart would agree with me, that album is easily one of the best lying on your floor in the dark with gigantic headphones albums ever made. But ever since uh, ever since 1997's peak effort, ladies and gentlemen were floating in space, 
Jason Pierce's MO has laid in heavy orchestration. Certainly, these albums have guitars, bass, and drums, but also gospel choirs, full orchestras. Neither are afraid to blow it out. And he often takes a long time in between albums. He's not really prolific at this stage, but what comes out is usually very, very good. The exception to this rule was 2002's Amazing Grace, which, if you can guess from that timestamp, was supposed to be their stripped-down garage rock album influenced by the White Stripes and the Strokes. But even that album has a violin or two in the second half. And certainly... The two songs that he's released from the forthcoming Spiritualized album and Nothing Hurt seem to fit this description to a T. Heavily orchestrated rock and roll with Pierce's laconic, sometimes uh, sarcastic vocals. As for the song I Think I'm In Love, it's one of Spiritualized's better-known songs and a key jam in their history. It's off of the 1997 album Ladies and Gentlemen Were Floating in Space, and depending on who you believe, that album is one of the biggest lovelorn kiss-off albums of all time. He claims it's not. Everyone thinks he's lying. And just briefly, the original keyboard player in Spiritualized was a woman named Kate Radley, and she was Jason Pierce's girlfriend, arguably his muse. One of his best friends at the time was Richard Ashcroft with The Verve, Kate Radley leaves Spiritualized and Pierce, marries Richard Ashcroft, and Pierce basically spends an entire album writing about it and how drugs are the only thing that will kill his constant pain. And this song is sarcastic, and the lyrics, it's a call and response. It goes, I think I'm in love, probably just hungry. I think I'm your friend, probably just lonely. And I think I could be your man, probably just think you can. It's a big R&B call and response song that's both addictive and about addiction. And there's anything slightly not cool about Spiritualized, it's that the lyrics often tend to glorify heroin addiction, or at the least use heroin addiction as a catalyst for rock and roll album Velvet Underground and Rolling Stones. Jason Pierce is no angel. Uh, kind of seems like he literally needs to be on the verge of death to release an album. And this makes up the majority of the press cycle for said album. Um, what, I think like two albums ago, he had double pneumonia. The album before this, he's like, I don't have cancer, but I'm on chemotherapy. His immune system isn't great, but he keeps going. Spiritualized rule, and you will likely enjoy them if you have the patience of a fish fan and a need for some elegant psych rock. So let's listen to part of I Think I'm in Love by Spiritualized.
right, Dave, thank you so much for Breakdown of Spiritualized. And um, I'm just happy that we both got to talk about artists we've been wanting to talk about since we started doing this. And uh, it's pretty admirable that the two of us held back on both of these until the time was right. So that, that gives me hope for the future as well. Um, so we're going to talk a bit about new albums here. Uh, as you all know, our last episode focused on our top five albums of 2018 thus far, as well as those of our listeners. Thank you to everyone who sent some stuff in. The year marches on, though, and there's lots of new music that's coming out. There's lots of new music that we, we're still discovering. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about a couple of those records right now. So the one I'm going to talk about is the debut uh, album from a Chicago post-punk quartet called Deeper. And the name of the album is Deeper. It's a self-titled debut for them. This is a band that's garnered a number of comparisons to early Deer Hunter, which if you know anything about my listening tastes, you would know that basically 2008 to 2015 Deer Hunter, majority of their career, but that, you know, uh, eight-year period right there is some of my favorite music that's been made over the last 20 years. So this really was my wheelhouse. I uh, discovered this record um a a band that we featured in this series and new album recommendations way back in episode three knee high from chicago uh was retweeting their their information on twitter checked it out loved it immediately wanted to share it with you guys so this is a very fantastic guitar and i texted to you jerk did you really yeah oh man i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) um all right, we're cool now. Um, so this is a really fantastic guitar-centered record that sports some serious hooks in very unexpected places, just making a really engaging listen. This is a band that formed in 2014. They've been around Chicago since then, refining their sound. It's like kind of nervy music. It constantly feels like it's moving forward at a driving pace, but still utilizes space in a really positive way that emphasizes atmosphere, specifically on the standout track Pavement, which is one of the best tracks on the record. At its core, this album sounds like just an amazing and perfect college record. It is best suited to be played loud, ideally after a few beers, and even better late at night. It sounds like the best kind of record to listen to, uh, to the band played live in the Subterranean, which is just an amazing venue in Chicago in the middle of winter. You can just imagine that like the grooves and the riffs just sound perfect, kind of bouncing off the walls in there. And the song Trust, which is the closer, really showcases the band's ability to incorporate melancholy into their songwriting and overall melodies, which really focuses their directional shifts going forward and gives me a ton of hope about what they could do in future albums. This is at at its heart. This is a solid, solid debut that while the band clearly has some room to grow and I hope that they, you know, continue to get comfortable and doing that really fun thing that great bands do where they start to focus on the sounds within their sounds and what they can do to kind of experiment and flesh out kind of the best parts of their melodies. This would be well served to be heard by any of our listeners throughout the summers. It's a great barbecue record. This is a great driving record. This is a great tour record, a great lot record, really Anything that you need over the next couple of months, this record's going to serve it well. So Deeper by Deeper, go ahead and check that out. Dave, I know that you're about to talk about a record that has hit us both in a big way. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, but first, I'll just back you up on Deeper. I think that best, uh, I think that band actually sounds a lot like Preoccupations, who I've talked about and like 
Yeah, that too. Especially in terms of the uh, winding serpentine guitar lines, not so much riffs as co-leads, like DNA coils. Really, really very good album. But yeah, the band I'm going to talk about is a band that uh, if you've been following the Beyond the Pond Twitter feed for the past few days, even the past few weeks, it's been a bit of a circle jerk in regard to this band. That's... The band is called Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever, and the album is called Hope Downs, their debut album, which uh, I think came out this past Friday. Prior to that, they had two EPs, and I think that the album itself is only about hmm, maybe 10 minutes longer than each of the EPs. So Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever, they sound like 120 minutes, 80s college rock fantasy camp. Their sound is jangly. Melodic, exceedingly pleasant, and surprisingly tight. It'll take you a few listens to grasp the lyrics. Once you do, they're very, very clever storytellers. And what's neat is that they've got three different songwriters and three different vocalists, all with varying degrees of grit in their Aussie accents, as this is a band, like many awesome bands before, comes from Melbourne, Australia. So I guess they sound a lot like early R.E.M., very much sound like the go-betweens, the ocean blue, just the kind of thing that used to show up on MTV at uh, 12.45 on a Sunday night slash early Monday morning. And even the video for uh, the recent single, Talking Straight, looks out of time, like it was shot in the 80s. And there really isn't much current precedent for a band like this. I mean, they don't sound like um, 1990s Matador throwbacks that are in vogue. There's no disco elements. There's no like alternative R&B. I mean, they kind of stand alone as being a new band with this current like this current throwback sound. I mean, really, it's just catchy, well-written jangle rock that would have obliterated a small liberal arts campus in 1987. To me, it's one of those albums that say, oh, I'm happy there's still a band out there that still makes albums like this. I saw them live a month ago. The show was 51 minutes on the nose. Nothing wasted, three guitarists, and they each sing, the bass and drums that hang in the back. They were very tight and very personable. Only gripe is uh, that the redheaded guitarist singer takes most of the solos, Joe White, he knocked my beer over on his way to the stage, and I had to pay a full price for another one when uh, the schmuck bartender didn't believe me when I, I said that I had my beer knocked over from the guitarist from Rolling Blackout's Coastal Fever. So uh, you owe me, Joe White. When you come back to the Barry Barroom in New York in September, I'm going to collect. But, uh, yeah, you should absolutely check out Hope Downs by Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever. That's going to be a record that's going to get me to the summer and then some. All right. Moving into our final segment here. Before we do, I uh, just got to second everything that Dave said about the Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever album, aside from... I did not have to pay for two beers at their show because I haven't seen them yet. None of them have had a chance to knock over my beer. But I'm hoping that that happens here within the next year. They are fantastic. That record, I see that being in top 10, top 5 right now. A lot of big albums would have to knock that one out. That's a really great record that keeps sticking with me and growing with me. But anyway, so here our second segment. We're going to talk about a showcase for Paige. So as we noted, as you guys heard, during the final couple minutes of that Runaway Gym, there's some really fantastic opportunity for Paige to 
really shine on the piano and on the grand piano. And Summer 95 in particular was just a really great tour for him. So we're focusing on two separate artists here that uh, really make some amazing piano-led music. The first of which is uh, I'm going to talk about a producer, an artist named Leland Kirby, who we're going to speak about one of his side projects here, The Caretaker, is the moniker for it. And we're going to talk about the song Moments of Sufficient Lucidity off of his 2011 record, An Empty Bliss Beyond This World. So again, this is Leland Kirby's side project that sees him loop and stretch out old 78s in distant, sonically experimental ways, which allows him to create the perception of aging and specifically the perception of what it's like to go through Alzheimer's. The record we're covering here was inspired by a study that he read from 2010 that had claimed that Alzheimer's patients better accessed memories when they heard music to accompany it. The showcase here in the record in many ways, aside from the overall theme of it, is the editing. Rather than just rehashing the songs that he's replaying here from old 78s or looping them together to no end, Kirby weaves ideas in and out of each other leaving you paralyzed in a mysteriously familiar world before cutting off abruptly and throwing you into another. At times, this this album feels like a soundtrack to a movie that you feel like you've just seen but can't name. And at others, it feels like music that your grandparents talked about or you listened to in their house. And it just feels, and the way it sounds is so distant, it feels like something that you're just kind of uncovering in your head as you go along. For me, what makes the record so compelling especially considering the subject and in comparison to his work as Leland Kirby, is that it lacks dissonance and any sort of overt explanation for sadness. There's something beautiful and peaceful that this record uncovers about the process of losing one's mind. And as you hear in this, there's almost this like peace and tranquility with these memories that just like spin on end and then just, and then just are are, are finished and move into another uh, set of memories somewhat confusing it's somewhat dis- disorienting but at the end of the day it's a really beautiful sound and uh so we're going to play moments of sufficient lucidity off of an empty bliss beyond this world you um thank you for that song so in terms of uh piano awesomeness of Paige mcconnell banging on the rock in 88s 
I'm going to talk about a band who we initially discussed back in January on our Bellingham Week of Pog episode. That is Low Cut Connie. And the song I'm going to talk about is called Beverly from their recently released Dirty Pictures Part 2. So since we last visited them in January, they put out this new record and the singer's mom retweeted us at least twice. So there you go. <laughs> they also watched their Eagles win they're the Super Bowl. So they're, they're on a high right now. That's right. They did get to watch the Eagles win the Super Bowl. They are our Philly boys through and through. So they are a Rolling Stonesy, piano-driven rock and roll with an allegedly killer live show. I still haven't seen them live. I actually had tickets to see them three weeks ago at the Bowery Ballroom. I was psyched. Life got in the way. But they average 100 shows a year, so I'll just see them some other time. There's really, there's no irony to their presentation. It's just rock and roll. So with this new record, uh, the frontman Adam Weiner, he said he's kind of slowly trying to shake their image as a booze hound bar rock band that's been kind of described as sleazy, kind of, uh, you know, I do get it. That's what he's going for, but he does like to perform in white tank tops and gigantic gold chains, and their sound is a, uh, a decidedly rhythmic kind of sound that would terrify the same 1950s parents who were terrified of Elvis. And the video for their arguably signature song, Boozophilia, which we featured, um, was filmed in a Philadelphia dive bar. It's kind of with the dive bar rock party of your dreams. So, you know, I get that it's certainly good to branch out, but... Also, don't hesitate to play to your strengths. So, with this new record, while it's definitely a party starter, it uh, has newfound elements of maturity and storytelling that make it more of a complete album, less of the singles plus filler that sort of hamstrung their earlier albums. Um, even like a handful of the songs are almost Springsteen-like character sketches. Sometimes the uh, sometimes the, the production values are purposely kind of made to sound like filler recordings. But the first song is also about how sometimes young audiences get so fucked up that they can't enjoy the show despite paying like 90 bucks for it. Basically, Adam Wieners decided that Loka Connie's in for the long haul, and the new album is the way forward to keep them from getting too pigeonholed. So I definitely get that. And also, Wiener, he's a noted scholar of rock history because this album was recorded in Memphis, Tennessee, and the final song is an Alex Chilton cover. Of course, Alex Chilton being the one-time frontman of Memphis 70s psych power poppers Big Star. And his knowledge of uh, Philadelphia-era rock DJ supposedly runs deep. So this guy obviously cares about making records. I think really Loka Connie at heart will always be about the live show. But this album is far from a mere formality. And the song we're going to play being um, the song Beverly... It's definitely got more of a like a Billy Joel, Joe Jackson thing going on. It's really good songwriting. And certainly a song like this for this band is the way forward. So we're gonna listen to Beverly by Loka Kai.
guys so much for hanging with us here. We recapped the 616 1995 Runaway Gym from Walnut Creek Amphitheater in Raleigh, North Carolina. Very excited to talk about this jam, and I think that you guys, I hope you guys dug some of the songs here that we selected. And if you were inspired by any of the box set, dream box sets that we uh, listed there, go ahead and, you know, give us a retweet towards fish.com, towards uh, Kevin Shapiro. We're happy to start the conversation for all of us. So just recapping the songs here that we we played. In segment one, the guitar is a medium for interstellar exploration. We featured Mark McGuire's Brainstorm for Aaron off Living With Yourself, as well as spiritualized I Think I'm In Love. And then in segment two, we discussed the caretaker's moments of sufficient lucidity, as well as low-cut Connie's Beverly. And our two new album recommendations that we featured were Deeper, Deeper, as well as Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever, Hope Downs. And a reminder of our social media links, you can find us on Twitter at at underscore beyond the pond. On uh, Simplecast, beyond the pond at simplecast.fm. That's our website. We have the master list of uh, Spotify Beyond the Pond podcast songs. That is uh, the Beyond the Pond podcast song playlist, which we uh, attempt to update shortly after an episode goes live. Of course, check out uh, the Osiris Podcast Network, which we are happily a family member of, osirispod.com. That's O-S-I-R-I-S pod.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. We read them. We absolutely do. Absolutely. And uh, just from a publishing standpoint, so you guys know, Um, This is coming out here end of June. Summer tour is right around the corner. We're going to continue releasing every other week. Perhaps if we get inspired, if there's some excellent jamming, we'll release something a little bit more frequently. But you can expect us to cover summer tour in much the same way we did 2017. So if you liked that, we're open to suggestions for jams as summer tour is going along that we'll be trying to recap in the moment as well as talk about what's happened on summer tour. So keep an eye out for these every other Tuesday. And one last thing I would encourage you guys to do is um, check out loresocial.com. We talked about them at the top of the show. L-U-R-E social.com. Excellent game. A lot of fun for you guys uh, as we're going into summer tour. And as we always like to say... If you like the bands that you have heard here and you see they're coming to your town, go see them live. If you're a Fish fan, it means you already love live music. And with the way the industry is, it's harder than ever for these bands to make money. Go see them live. Go buy a vinyl. Go to the merchandise booth. Shake their hand. Buy a shirt. Just, uh, you know, do something to spread the wealth around, certainly. And on that note... If you've gotten this far, thank you very much. I am David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. Join us in two weeks. We are going to join hands. It will be summer at that point. We'll be a little closer to Fish Summer Tour. And come back and we'll join together and go beyond the pond.
Osiris. 